welcome to the October 2019 edition of the HCI at UCD podcast, a monthly podcast with our seminar series guests. I'm Justin Edwards, a PhD student here at UCD, and today I'm joined by Dr. Sarah Foley, a lecturer of psychology and computing in the School of Applied Psychology at University College Cork. Thank you for joining me today, Sarah. Thanks very much, Justin. So your talk today looks at opportunities for experience-centered design for HCI design involving people with advanced dementia. Could you explain what experience-centered design looks like and how that's different from other approaches that we frequently see in HCI? Yeah, absolutely. So I think experience-centered design is very much in line with a lot of person-centered approaches in HCI in general. So it was a a method of design that came from Professor John McCarthy and Professor Peter Wright when they throughout their years together they kind of came to see the importance of dialogical interactions working and how that is really integral to our experiences as people and then I suppose as our experiences are more and more embedded with technology they began to understand the role of technology and more importantly I suppose design methods in drawing out people's experiences and making those more integral to how we understand and design for better or lived experiences. Right, okay. What what are some of those methods that you use in your own research then? So a lot of my research coming from a psychology background would be very qualitative in nature. So uh, working with people with dementia, for example, I employed ethnographic approaches at the beginning of my research, just getting to know people, becoming, I suppose, embedded in the community itself. And from that then, learning from them about what kind of experiences are important to them, and then as a researcher or designer, trying to respond with either design processes or technology that hopefully enriches their experiences further. Right. Very good. Yeah. We had uh, Lucy Yardley on the oh, okay, on this yeah. podcast and as a seminar series guest uh, last year. And it was very enlightening and encouraging to mm-hmm. see how the, that per- person-centered approach is becoming pretty popular in HCI, I'd say. And yeah. it, it's catching on. Yeah, it's definitely, I think, very exciting to see. And particularly working with people, say for example, people with dementia, but lots of types of people don't necessarily fit the normal or straightforward methods of design for, like for example, participatory design. So thinking about how our methods are more employable in different settings and actually learning from people who maybe communicate differently. I think experience-centered design really responds in a very open approach to design and encourages us as designers and researchers to be really creative and think about the experiences of people and how they vary. Right, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so kind of on that same topic, I was reading your most recent, uh, your 2019 Kai paper, mm. and the work highlighted there involved that ethnographic approach that you're talking about. Um, it, it, you were assisting at the Oakfield House a residential unit providing care for people with dementia and you were collecting observational data there across two years so that's that's quite a quite a long period Mm -hmm. to collect data and quite an intensive uh, methodology so what were some of the challenges in collecting ethnographic data uh, especially at that time scale yes so I I began working in Oakfield House during my undergraduate degree as a volunteer Um, and in that sense I was very lucky that I had such access and trusting relationships with the staff and the residents in Oakfield House But I guess in order to understand and learn from the people with dementia that I was working with, I really had to engage in all levels of their lived experience. So I would maybe accompany someone for a complete day to see what their day-to-day lives were like. I would 
help to organize days out or activities so I really became I suppose had two I suppose hats in that experience so I was both a volunteer I needed to be quite useful in that experience and learn from people but also had to think about how we could open up space for research and design in the care home and kind of incorporate design thinking as a care home activity and that really was to draw out thinking about how we can move away from the kind of day-to-day schedule that people with dementia are usually structured around towards more kind of creative and open approaches to understanding their personhood and kind of engaging with things that people often forget when people are caring for people with dementia their lived experiences the kind of wealth of knowledge that they have and how we draw that out and support it in our was quite challenging but I think ultimately really rewarding as well right I see so that's kind of designing at a a very individualized level Mm. that considering the the unit of design isn't uh isn't a, a demographic of people it's an individual person right yeah absolutely and I suppose the wealth of knowledge that we drew from were people's interests people's lived history and kind of designing I suppose for a group in the sense of trying to find commonalities across the residents that we lived in the care homes such as they all grew up in Cork City most of them they all had quite similar lifestyles and came from the same um, socioeconomic status so they were able to share a lot of their experiences but what we tried to do as a research project was draw out these skills interests, hobbies that they had that maybe had been forgotten as the person aged and was kind of seen more in the role of a patient with dementia rather than a person with a full lived experience as well right yeah I see uh, that I think you're you're kind of touching on that there there's a lot of insights to be gained just by being around a person that much that there's there's ways that when designers consider you know what is a person with mm. dementia like they're they're maybe not considering an individual person and um, I think you probably have all sorts of insights as to what people don't necessarily realize or have incorrect assumptions about uh, when they design for community specific communities um, are there any kind of things that kept coming up again and again that you can think of with individuals that you thought, oh, you know, this is a pattern that I see in a lot of people or things like that. Yeah, absolutely. I think we can learn so much from working with people with dementia. And it's quite common in a lot of people's experiences, if they're experiencing illness, for example, that, you know, it's a predominantly medical model as a response. So within dementia, a lot of that would be very thought of in terms of a cognitive decline for example and a very steady decline in the person and kind of a loss of their self whereas I kind of try to reframe all these things that were considered just the symptomatic of people with dementia so memory loss for example um, things would come up a lot around people asking or seeking out family members who probably had passed away so you had a, a lot of examples of you know people in their 80s or 90s looking for their mother or father or brothers you know from childhood and I think just reframing that not in terms of oh that's memory loss that's a sign of their dementia but actually that's a sign of them seeking comfort and care and how we respond to that both at a care level but also in thinking about what we're designing for and are we designing to respond to that need for social connection I think is a really important learning point from people with dementia that can just be transferred to every aspect of life so thinking about what technology what role technology has to play I guess in bringing people together rather than separating them as sometimes that can do as well yeah I think that that highlights as well that 
the importance not just in the the approach to collecting the data but in the approach to analyzing it that yeah. you have to kind of you know designing for the way people's lives are lived that you can't classify things that are true to a person's life as like an error as a symptom if you're trying to design as part of it so uh yeah what were how did your your approach to analyzing your data kind of evolve over time yeah exactly what you said there so I kind of analyzed the field work that I had collected and and the kind of interviews that I had done in terms of okay instead of thinking of the person with dementia as a problem or problematic behavior why not why don't we think about the world around them and how we have responded to them both societally and how we've designed their environments as the problem and we need to kind of work towards designing care services and environments that are inclusive for people and you know good design is seen as design for all so when we are designing whether it's technology or services we need to consider the varied experiences that people have and not be happy or satisfied with our design until we kind of have encompass as many experiences as we possibly can and I know that's a big um sure ask but I think just framing it in that in that way is important so it's not the person that's the problem it's the way they the world has responded to them yeah I think yeah even conceiving it at that very as that very big problem it at least gives you footing as to what what the challenges are yeah, that, exactly. yeah maybe we can't solve that you know the world currently isn't designed for all but that that gives us an idea of okay we can for each individual we can try to do a little bit better yeah Um, starting point yeah so the the idea of designing for all uh makes me think of a a paper you were involved in the previous at the previous chi the 2018 chi paper about um co-design with younger people Mm. and uh an app that would get them to have an experience with an older family member so uh, what what sorts of commonalities do you think came up when you looked at these intergenerational experiences? That what what sorts of things kind of unite what a, a younger person wants out of an experience with their older relative, and what that older person wants in that experience? Yes, yeah, so I think where the ideas for that project came from was um, considering the person with dementia is often like if you think of them as central in their ecology of care or the kind of dynamics that they're engaged with in a relational sense often you know we consider the care the primary care the staff but you know that person is often connected to whether it's grandchildren whether it's neighbors or people that really are an outlet for meaningful engagement with them that maybe haven't been considered in terms of how we can support that and I think working with younger people who are either young carers or have family members or volunteer relationships with people with dementia it became quite apparent that they really did want to engage and had a a sense that they just maybe didn't know what to say or it was a bit awkward and trying to find um, connections in terms of what to talk about so we really I guess saw technology as a way to bridge that gap and support meaningful conversations so younger people tended to have a lot of access to on their smartphones or whatever a lot of media and a lot of things that maybe we take for granted that we have access to so like whether it's youtube clips whether it's pictures from a time when their grandmother or grandfather was growing up and we kind of saw that as an opportunity for both the young person and the the person with dementia to be very active in engaging in meaningful conversations teaching each other so kind of that exchange element of it and i think from the work that we did there we saw that both younger people and people with dementia don't often have those opportunities to be engaged in meaningful relationships and feel like they're making 
a big outlet for meaning and kind of relational richness I guess right. and it was kind of taken for granted that oh younger people don't they're not interested in older people but actually we found that it was a huge outlet for meaning for the people that we worked with sure yeah that both groups have these resources to create these mm. experiences and they just kind of needed that little bit of scaffolding yeah. to kind of get the resources pulled. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. really interesting it's it's super encouraging to see like the way ways like that that technology can be used uh like even at a family level mm. to increase communication within within families um, even among family members that That's, aren't yeah. you know seeing each other every single day and again it's not something that is massively making an advance in the technology but yeah. just kind of reconfiguring people's relationships and yeah. how they communicate with each other i think it's a really powerful place for technology to really make strong yeah. advances yeah that we don't need to make some new program that's the state-of-the-art mm. algorithm we just we have all these resources available mm. to us and creative ways to to combine them yeah, can absolutely. make big differences uh, another big focus of your work is the social theory of recognition. So what does recognition mean in the context that you use it and how can HCI researchers better emphasize recognition in their own work? So I think I was drawn to the social theory of recognition considering the experience of people with dementia and how they've traditionally been seen as kind of, you know, there's this idea of, they're, oh, they're not there anymore, they're socially, there's a social death element of how we describe and talk about people with dementia. And I kind of, through a lot of conversations and thinking about it, I was drawn to the idea of, okay, it's not about what the person is experiencing in terms of cognitive decline. It's more about how we are responding to them in terms of what kind of opportunities they have to feel like they're part of a relationship or part of their wider community. And I was drawn to the social theory of recognition because it takes away the emphasis of dementia and it goes back to kind of these universal needs that we all have to be socially validated in our relationships but also in wider community and societal um, factors so how are our various needs being responded to at various levels of relationships and society and what implications does that have for how recognized we are for the various aspects of our identity and I think that really helped me scaffold ideas around what we're designing for when we're designing for people with dementia it's not about particularly the dementia exactly but actually their needs as people and how they've almost they've been misrecognized in the sense that they're often forgotten about at those various levels right yeah I, I see a lot of opportunity for that specific social theory to be applied to a lot of different marginal groups yeah, that absolutely. aren't well represented in HCI and that's the thing I think it's it's so universal in that sense that it really does help you know sometimes we're working with groups that you know have completely been misrecognized and you almost don't know where to begin because so many needs are being unmet there so it helps us to kind of see okay how on what levels are people being recognized and where can HCI play a role in actually recognizing people in that sense yeah I think it's definitely a useful kind of foundation for us mm. to start uh, increasing our recognition and increasing yeah. our representation within HCI so yeah really cool as well just kind of as a person with a social science and yeah. like cognitive science kind of background I mean seeing like Hegel being cited <laughs> in, in an HCI paper it's it's a bit of a treat seeing that yeah, that well, thank you yeah that that part of you know social science and philosophy uh 
isn't gone, that this isn't just engineering problems that we're solving, yeah. that there's there's social problems too. No, absolutely. And I think reminding ourselves of that is really helpful in terms of, you know, asking ourselves what we are designing for here. And, you know, even if it is the most advanced technology in the world, often our needs go back to the time of Egel and they haven't really changed since yeah. then. Right. Uh, so one, I, I always like to ask kind of a, a fun question sure. in some of these <laughs> talks. Um, so yeah, ethnographic research obviously is uh, very is can be very time intensive. Mm-hmm. It can be very costly in terms of money. Um, it can be difficult to get organizational support. Um, so if if you had some magical grant mm-hmm. with unlimited money and unlimited scope of time, and any kind of global or local organizations uh, were were willing to provide the support you needed, what would be like a dream study that you would love to run to? You can take some time with this, too. Uh, Okay, let me think. Yeah. Um, So I use a lot of the work of... um, It's making, it's the book. But, you know, he talks about how we learn from people, and I think ethnography is such an opportunity to learn from people. So in that sense, I would love to learn from a community that works really well. But I'm not sure exactly what that community would be. Yeah, maybe step one of this dream study would be kind of figuring out what what, is what even the community. Yeah, yeah. because the, like we talk about even HCI community, the sure, car community. Yeah. And I, I saw a really interesting thing about is community actually a good thing? Like right, it's okay. positioned as a positive connotation over a community, but actually it, that sense of what a community is is very complex, and there are hierarchies and there are personal dynamics. Um, and I think once you are fortunate enough to, even if I did one here in UCD, like there's yeah, so yeah. much complexity around how people engage with each other that any community study is going to be very rich once you get insight into that. So I think maybe even something like, even like the, the US office, I think if you got a set, like I find the mundane quite interesting. Yeah. So. And kind of you get a sense of how people live their lives and the little personality quirks and dynamics that exist even in the seemingly most normal parts. Right, gotcha. Of so the world, yeah, so. the the idea of having someone like embedded in these communities yeah. that like yeah, that's living that mundane and gets to see every yeah. every bit of it is. Because yeah. I think once you engage with people, like nothing is boring. Like nothing yeah. is mundane, and I think often in the most mundane places so even if sometimes I'm in a coffee shop or you know you see the dynamics amongst staff or whatever I'm yeah. like oh this would make a great ethnography because yeah it's just like that everyday life that we all are trying to understand and kind of navigate through so maybe somewhere very mundane I very interesting yeah. I like that answer a lot that the idea of this like dream grant or whatever it's not that you know we need all this budget for hardware infrastructure it's yeah we, we need to convince someone that like being involved in this very kind of specific Dale but like mm. very mundane mm. uh, community has a lot of value in yeah. it that that's the that's the challenge yeah. that it's not just you know not getting all these external resources that we need but it's to to show other people that this is worth looking at yeah and, absolutely yeah. I remember when I was in undergraduate degree I think I read a study about someone who did an ethnography in a printer room and just right. watched people interact with the printer in their work and at the time I was like this is the most boring research I've ever read <laughs> when I start to work then and like the printer is part of my daily life and it's a source of such frustration sometimes when it doesn't work I'm like oh they really did have a point like they took one 
tiny thing and really examined it and I think that is where ethnography shines and has a really space to open up yeah real understanding I think yeah it's interesting that like diary studies and yeah. like studies like that used to be a really big part of HCI mm. that it, it used to be a, a big focus to understand like what are people currently doing like how do people approach yeah. these without any research or impact and yeah I think there's there's reason to go back to yeah, that absolutely. sort of work I think there's a real risk when we think that we we understand people I think yeah. we never can lose the fact of we need to embed our understanding in people's everyday lives if we're gonna improve it at all yeah very I think that's a, a great takeaway for this that yeah <laughs> uh, looking at people's everyday lives I think comes up again and again in, in all of these HCI mm-hmm. seminars that we do here that you know no matter how big or complex or technical the problem we're solving is the the real value is having some impact on people's daily lives yeah, so absolutely. uh yeah thank you very much for you, for answering my questions <laughs> yeah thank, thanks so much for visiting us here and for sharing your insights about uh, all the work you do thank you it's my pleasure the hci at ucd podcast is available at hci.ucd.ie where you can also find our guest seminar presentation slides and more information about the ucd hci community You can also find our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow HCI underscore UCD on Twitter to keep up with our research group. Our theme music is Robot Park by Poddington Bear.